This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. Hello, and welcome to In Focus Sport from Control Risks Specialist Risk Consultancy. I'm Alicia Fitterman, an Associate Director in the Compliance, Forensics and Intelligence team here at Control Risks. In each In Focus Sport episode, my colleague, John Brown, the head of the forensics practice across Europe, Middle East and Africa, will sit down with a guest to discuss their views and insights on a range of current themes linked to the integrity of sports. In this episode, John sits down with Ashley Ellert, the legal director for the International Ice Hockey Federation, who's had a really interesting career, also working with an American football team and in minor league baseball. They chat about the challenges posed by doping, with a nod to some of the less obvious issues that prevention and detection can entail. Hi, Ashley. I'll start by saying thank you for joining us today for the Control Risks podcast. Ashley, before we get into the detail, I'd like to take a bit of time just to discuss your background in sport, which is pretty varied. If you could explain a bit about that experience and what it was that drew you to that career in sport and specifically how you arrived at your current role within ice hockey. I started working for my university American football team in NCAA compliance when I was actually at university and that created an interest in sports. And also working in the compliance aspect of it for recruitment actually created a legal interest for me in sports, which directed me to get my law degree. And while I was getting my law degree, I had a very fortunate opportunity to start interning with minor league baseball in the United States. After graduating, continued a bit of time with minor league baseball, but I decided that I wanted to have a little bit more of a global international perspective on sports and work in more of a a global sport. So I did the FIFA master's program. After I graduated from the FIFA master's program, I was actually offered an internship writing regulations at the International Ice Hockey Federation. After finishing the internship, I was very lucky. It was during the financial crisis. So I was very lucky to stay on with the IHF. And over the last 10 years, I've just worked my way up through the IHF and became legal director a little over two years ago. Thanks, Ashley. I think a career in sport is pretty much the dream for a lot of people. I guess the The role of in-house counsel in sport is very different to the role that you would typically have if you were in-house counsel in the corporate world, for example. And anti-doping would fit firmly into the category of one of the areas that would be not considered traditional for a lawyer to be dealing with. So could you talk to us a bit about your involvement and responsibilities as it relates to anti-doping within the Federation itself? So actually, when I started 10 years ago, I didn't actually do a lot in anti-doping. I was really involved with just the results management particularly with respect to maybe preparing a case file that went to a disciplinary board. But I would say over the last 10 years, the dynamic of anti-doping has changed greatly. The code has evolved. Compliance with the code and the level of uh, responsibility that an international federation has with respect to anti-doping has greatly, greatly increased. And I would say over this time, all of these aspects have made anti-doping a lot more legal In that respect, approximately two years ago, we created, uh, defined the legal department and actually moved all integrity issues within the legal department. So it was anti-doping, match fixing, abuse and harassment and ethics, all is now within the legal department. And now we do everything from, you know, writing the regulations, helping ensure that our test plan ensures compliance with the code, controlling results management, and all the way through the end to cast proceedings when a case is appealed. 
So now we no longer just have the final aspect of anti-doping. We control everything from the very beginning until the very end. Interesting. So a wide-ranging responsibility then. If you look at the current regulatory regime for anti-doping, do you feel that it's effective for all sports? And specifically, if you think about how it relates to ice hockey. I personally do not. Um, With that said, I don't know. I have not come up with other ways to control it. I think that WADA has to create a, a code that is applicable and rules and regulations that are applicable to all sports. And what sometimes is forgotten is there is grave differences between sports. But with that said, I don't, I have not come up with another way to control it. So they have to create almost like average rules. They attempt to apply to all sports, but as a result, there are grave deficiencies in certain sports, in particular ice hockey. I can give an example would be with the new code, they define what is called recreational athletes. And recreational athletes are treated a bit differently than other athletes. And this is a huge benefit to what's considered a recreational athlete because they might not know the code as well. How the IHF structure, our championships are structured, we have run approximately 38 championships and all the way through our lowest, newest MNA. So it's a very low division where most of them would be considered recreational athletes. But because it's termed an international championship, I can't apply these new rules. So the code just can't take in consideration some of the intricacies of how the IHF and ice hockey is run and operated. And then... For the Ice Hockey Federation itself, if an allegation of doping arises, how would you respond to that? When we have allegations more of um, tips, et cetera, so there would be a rumor or we receive some type of intelligence that investigation is going on, we will respond, I guess you could say, within our resources. We consider ourselves a bigger of the medium-sized international federations, but we don't have a ton of monetary resources to set up a really detailed investigation plan. So one of the first things that we will do when we receive allegations or a tip is that we will do testing. So that's the absolute first thing we'll do is we will try to do target testing in a particular country. If we feel like the allegations are really credible, we additionally might request our integrity partner, which is Fort Radar, to do further investigation for us to determine if they can find any additional information, which would allow us to open a a case against wherever the allegation may lie. They have much more ability than the IHF does because we don't have someone on staff that can, you know, police the dark web, et cetera. They just have a much bigger ability to be able to do that. Additionally, the IHF is moving in a direction to have a better cooperation with our national federations. So we have what's called integrity officers in each of our federations. And one of the responsibilities of our integrity officers is anti-doping. And when we have allegations within a particular country, the first thing we do is to contact our integrity officer to help them. So they can help us with the investigation because they know the landscape within their country. They know the language and they definitely have better investigating skills within their country than the IHF would. So that's how we usually handle a potential allegation. It just depends on the level of how deep we will go into and which resource we will use to handle it. 98% of our cases are done with testing. So usually we have an AAF and that is usually how our cases will move forward. And of the cases that we've had a whistleblower, usually, like I said, one of the first things we do is test. And so we will get that AAF doing it in that manner, which obviously makes the results management for us much, much easier. Logistically, then, how is that testing conducted? And then the relevant data, because I presume it's generated globally, how's that data then shared back with you at headquarters? It depends on whether it's an international or national level athlete. So the IHF has you know, jurisdiction over, over all ice hockey players all over the world. 
If it's a strictly national level player, usually we will cooperate with the NATO of that particular country to do the testing because obviously they also have an interest in if a player in their country is doping. And then they will transfer the AAF to us, obviously, if it's positive. Additionally, the IHF actually four or five years ago took over all anti-doping testing for the Continental Hockey League. So that is equivalent to the second biggest ice hockey league in the world. Really, the reason we did this initially was because of the issues that were going on with Rusada at the time, but also the IHF has continued this testing because it adds so much credibility to ice hockey being clean if the IHF is testing the second biggest hockey league in the United States. And usually we either do that through uh, testing partners. So we use PwC or ADEPT and or a NATO in a particular country. For example, if we want to test a player in Finland, then we will use the Finnish NATO to do that testing. So there's a lot of data there. Are there any data protection requirements that you need to think about? So when you're transferring results between countries or organizations, I can imagine that causes some headaches. Obviously, a ton of data issues. It's not only between countries, but even when we're transferring data between the Swiss NATO and the IHF, we also have to think about Swiss data protection law. Everything we do with anti-doping has to fall within this regime of data protection law, whether it's GDPR or the law of the country where we may be transferring the data to. The IHF is really fortunate because we don't have a ton of positive cases each year. I would say, you know, we average maybe around five, five positive cases a year to max 10. But whenever we are transferring the data, we have to follow the data law of a particular country. I know under GDPR, you know, there's the public interest in us transferring that data or consent. The IHF does not like to use this concept of consent because it could obviously be withdrawn. But, you know, even outside of the ability to do it within data protection laws, the IHF takes the protection of players' data extremely seriously. So we have extreme security measures in place to ensure the data is secure. When we transfer, everything is encrypted or it's protected. And we only transfer the absolute necessary data, for example, for our disciplinary board member to ensure that he can process the case. And or if a partner in NATO has to have the case to ensure that they can meet their code compliance. For example, in this idea that we take it very seriously, I know all international federations, they view data privacy differently with respect to the publication of final decisions or investigations. The IHF is very strict on this, that we will only publish the name of a player and the fact that he has an anti-doping violation once we are positive that there will not be an appellate decision or an appellate appeal for a particular case. We don't publish that we're investigating a player we don't publish that the player has an aversal legal finding, and we won't even publish the disciplinary decision until we're positive that the case will not go to CAS. And if we think the case is going to go to CAS, we do not publish the final decision until after the final decision of the CAS. We take it very, very seriously. I suspect that many of our listeners will be aware that the Russian anti-doping agency was declared non-compliant by WADA, WADA being the World Anti-Doping Agency, back in December 2019. This was based on a finding that they manipulated laboratory data that was handed over to WADA investigators. Is this something that you've been following? And if so, what's the latest news on that front? Yeah, so the IHF is not only following the case, but I think as it is public knowledge, the IHF has intervened in this case because we have an interest and in the consequences will affect the IHF, which according to the compliance document allowed us in the water code allowed us to intervene in the case. We felt very strongly about intervening just because if the sanctions that are recommended by the CRC are implemented, it will affect four IHF world championships. And being that Russia is one of our biggest countries, it could have grave consequence for our world championship if Russia is not allowed to play. 
or B, they have to play under neutral requirements, i.e. no flag or no jersey. So we made the decision to intervene. With respect to the latest news, I can comment a little bit. Since we are intervening parties, the case is still ongoing. But all parties, there are several parties that are now involved in this case, are all filing you know, either a, a brief or a response. I personally think that the final decision, probably beginning of next year, but obviously with all court decisions, you never know when the final decision will be rendered. And you mentioned the championships being held in Russia in 2023. Do you think there's any risk of the fallout of the scandal itself impacting on the timing of the competition, whether it happens, the location, that kind of thing? CRC recommendation is that the IHF has to look to see if it's possible for us to withdraw the championship. I think that there might be some confusion about whether or not we it's an automatic right that we have to withdraw the championship versus we have to determine if it's legally possible. Obviously, you know, when this first Russian case came out, it was three, three and a half years ahead of the planned championship. But the longer we go, obviously, it's going to be more and more difficult for the IHF to withdraw the championship from Russia. There are a lot of contracts in place. There's a lot of planning that goes into a world championship and not only the ability to withdraw it, i.e. they get out of the contracts, but also the ability for us to find a new host. Our championships are awarded four years in advance because of all the planning that goes into our world championship. So that will have to be part of the decision about whether or not the championship can be withdrawn. So I think that there are many elements that we'll have to look at to make a determination of what will occur in 2023 if all of the CRC recommendations are implemented by the CAS. Thank you, Ashley. That sounds like a logistical challenge, shall we say. We have run out of time. I feel like we could go on longer, particularly in relation to that last issue. So thanks again, a really fascinating insight into the workings of the International Ice Hockey Federation. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.